This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Goldman, and my guest today is Al God. Al God is a popular crypto investor who's probably best known for predicting Luna's demise ahead of time on Twitter and betting with the founder, Do Kwan, that it would happen. He's self-taught, operates largely alone, and does few interviews. So I was very excited to sit down with him and talk about his philosophy, analytical process, and current views. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Al God. Today, I'm joined by Algod Trading. I'm really excited to have Algod on. I thought this was his first, but this is his second podcast ever. So really excited to have you on today, Algod. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, likewise. Really looking forward to this. I thought a fun place to start would be what I think is probably going to go down as one of the best tweets ever. Whenever they put the Luna story into a Netflix special, there's going to be a conversation between you and Do Kwan where... You said, if Luna breaks, this is back in September, if Luna breaks new all-time highs, I will short it with size. It's a big-ass Ponzi. Pretty sure VCs will also hedge their investments on perps. Doe responded, yeah, but your size is not size, which became a famous meme in crypto. And you responded, statistically, you're dunking on 99% of your community. But all right, someday your Ponzi will collapse. You can't keep fueling the anchor. So I think one thing that was super interesting place to start was you were one of the early people to call the Luna blow up. What was your background and how did you start understanding Luna? Were you always convinced this was a bad idea from the beginning? What was the background that led up to that tweet? I tend to hold DeFi summer. So I had my fair share of experience with algorithmic stablecoins. Then I saw like Luna getting a lot of traction. It's interesting. They were promising a fixed yield and it being a decentralized stablecoin. So I was like, let's check in the mechanics. And then I found out it was not collateralized at all. So pretty much like the whole USD supply was resting on the Luna liquidity. It just made sense. The moment like panic kicks in, it will just collapse and it will trigger a bank and the same way as it happened with Titan. Titan was an algorithmic stablecoin back in the day. So it happened before, but just with Luna, it was just on a bigger scale. So for people who don't understand what that means for an algo stablecoin, can you explain how did Anchor work? How did Luna work? So they have two coins. You have the stable coin and then you have the main coin, Luna. And they pretty much burn Luna to mint USD. But it can also be reversed. So it's also possible they will mint Luna to redeem USD. It's much like dual, <laughs> a dual token mechanic, but it's really hard to explain properly because it doesn't make much sense. <laughs> it's not collateralization. But yeah, that's pretty much the, the most easy way to explain it. Say it back to you. Basically, you have UST Terra, which was the stable coin, supposed to be like a dollar, backed by nothing, which does seem very silly when you say it out loud. However, this idea got to tens of billions of dollars. I totally see your point that you looked at the mechanics, you said this isn't going to work. 
it's a Ponzi, but there's lots of things that seem to be in the crypto space where people are trying to make things out of nothing and just say that there's value behind it. So what was it here that gave you the conviction? Did you go short Luna during this process or how did you know? Because there have been times where it had been shaky and it had been bailed out before too, I think back in January, but why did you think that this was actually going to unwind as viciously as it did? At some point, USD supply was rapidly increasing. And then I started to realize, look, this can't keep going. It's not sustainable this way. And I was also aware that just the macroeconomics were a little bit shaky. It was possible we could go into some kind of recession, or at least the downturn, what happened right now. So that's why I wanted to social engineer Duke One into a bet, because I realized, like, look, this can go up more. Ponzi's tend to pump pretty hard. I'm a little bit scared to just short it on perks. Time was the biggest enemy of Terra, and he basically gave me free time. So this was my trading thesis behind the whole whole bet. Did he end up doing the bet with you? I know he did the bet with somebody with Gigantic Rebirth, but did he end up doing the bet with you? I think you bet him a million dollars, was it, that Luna would break? Each of us put one million into a smart contract. And after that, she shot to the same bet. So he took your bet. So have you been able to collect on the bet? Yeah, it's distributed. You're one of the accounts on crypto Twitter that has a lot of macro takes, talks about the economy, talks about other asset classes. Did you have any financial trading or was this all self-taught? It's all self-taught. The thing I realized the most about the research I've been doing the past months on microeconomics, like nobody knows what they're talking about. Everyone has their <laughs> own idea. And yeah, I think it's just, in some extent, it's just the Fed's there, like definitely un- unpredictable. And markets aren't efficient at all. We're pretty much just throwing, blindly throwing darts at this point. Probably is a good spot to talk about the macro landscape right now. We're seeing inflation in the United States, euro currency weakening, stock market falling, crypto crashing. What's your kind of general take of where we are? I know in the past you discussed a bearish take on it, but where do you think we are in, in the cycle? It's definitely like a little bit worse. As we can see, everything is a bubble. Everything is like overpriced from watches to cars and stuff. And I think like Ray Dalio explained really well. So he thinks you're pretty much at the end of a cycle and there will be like a new world power, which could be China. So I definitely understand what his stake is. It's possible that the United States will go into hyperinflation and the currency will fall and kind of things. I'm not really sure where we're going to be. I think at the moment, my test is played out. I mean, the crypto market is quite, quite far, same for traditional markets. And I think we're now at a place that nobody knows. I'm still like cautious and in cash and I'm just waiting for easy money season again because that's the only thing I good at so I, I should stick with my strategy I have now. I mean I'm obviously diversifying a little bit. I think it was like at the end of last year you started to get bearish. Do you actually go net short or do you just go from holding spot into holding cash? Yeah just from spot to cash. I pretty much started like 95% of my crypto assets into stable coins and some fields. It's sometimes it's really hard to predict when the market are going down hard. Being cash is enough already. You've been in 95% cash for several months now. What are you analyzing or looking at or signals that you would be interested to get back into the market? Well, ideally, I really want to see some more capitulation. I don't think we reach maximum capitulation yet. The Feds are, again, in a very difficult place because they have to deal with inflation. At the same time, if they keep inflating, it will also cause a recession. So I'm just trying to educate myself as much as possible, which I'm still doing every day, several hours and waiting for a good opportunity. And I don't really know when it is. Nobody knows when it is, but just my guts are telling us it's not now. And I'm also willing to sacrifice some upside potential for a potential lower buying price. 
when you hold stable coins, do you just keep them in cold wallets as a place to store cash, or do you actually use them to try to generate yield? I don't really use my stable coins to generate yield. I think like smart contract risk is it's much too high for like a few percentage annually. Something I use with a part of my stable coins is just FTX lending. I think it's pretty safe because it's like mostly based on supply and demand of leverage thing from my understanding. So that's the only thing I use. Going back to the stuff that happened with Luna and the blow up there, as Luna collapsed at first, people thought it was contained and even held it up as an example of the contagion wasn't as big as you would have thought. But then Three Arrows, this large hedge fund just blew up and now it's having a lot of impact on everyone who led to Three Arrows. As part of your analysis, when you were working through the Luna call, did you understand the connectivity to Three Arrows and what possibly could happen? Well, I actually expected them to hatch their departing like a private sale. I thought they would just hatch it on purpose. But yeah, I was really surprised to find out a lot of funds. They were just holding it and balls deep into Luna. I'll never understand it. It's definitely like a lot of question marks for me. From that process, when you're trying to understand the tokenomics of a situation like that, do you kind of have a standard playbook that you look through of how you analyze a token and what you think about if you're going to make an investment or not? Well, often the question is that I ask myself is, where does the money come from? As you saw with Luna, they were just promising 20% API, and then you start to think for yourself, like, where do they generate the 20% API? And in crypto, for whatever reason, we really believe that we can program money from out of thin air. So that's one of the first things I look at. Then if you're going to buy a token on a secondary market, you also have to keep unlock schedules into account. You don't want to be exit liquidity for VCs. So those are like the two main factors. There's like a third factor actually, like is revenue going back to the token or are holders potentially eligible in the future for the protocol profits? I think those three are very important. Let's go through those each one by one. So the first one, creating money out of thin air. How do these projects set themselves up where they're trying to, I hear this term all the time of bootstrap liquidity or bootstrap demand. What does it mean when, or what's, do you have an example of how someone's used a token in that way? I think Luxare is a very good example. They don't necessarily like print money out of thin air, but they bootstrapped a lot of volume by incentivizing wash trading. What they did, they pretty much promised when you sell like an NFT, they gave bonus for selling it, which was... Yeah, they gave you like a reward. There was like a royalty where if you sold an NFT on their platform, instead of paying a fee, they would give you a little reward incentive and Luxare tokens. Mm-hmm. It was higher than the fees they were charging. The fee that they were charging was 2% and they were giving a cashback of 2.5%. What they actually did, they were like incentivizing watch trading because they were NFTs that had no fees to trade. So people were cashing in on the extra 1%. Right? So that's like, in my opinion, a very scammy way to incentivize volume. For example, you have Uniswap and other AMMs that boost up liquidity by giving out their own tokens. The issue is just not sustainable. I can see at the start it can be useful, but for whatever reason in crypto, we, we do it for everything now and then wait too long, which will be at the expense of holders. Going back to the Luxware one, I didn't like it either. I thought it was just poorly designed at first. But what was interesting with the wash sales, even though I was against it, is I just think about a lot of this crypto stuff, putting an incentive in place. So they had an incentive. And if you wash sale, meaning you sold an asset that didn't have a fee on it, you would get this reward. And they said they weren't going to do it forever, but they did it for a while. And it definitely got them a lot of attention. So I can't say it's what I would do, but it did kind of work, don't you think? 
Well, it worked out for them at least because the funny part is the team and the seed investors, they were like passive stakers. Their investment share was locked and they were actually paid in Ethereum of the fees the platform was earning. Of course, for the holders, it's a different story. Whenever like a sale happens, the ETH rewards get distributed back to the holders. The issue is like 2.5% in tokens are getting dumped while 2% is getting recouped to the holders. In the end, there was much more selling pressure than buying pressure which longer-term holders pay the price for. But yeah, in the short term, of course, and that's what gets me a little bit angry. I'm a firm believer you have to promote your own products, especially as marketing is very hard to do in crypto, but you don't have to misinform people. You can't share about like volume while it's just incentivized wash trading. So yeah, pretty much like the private sellers and the team got rich while the long-term believers pay the price for it. It's interesting because LooksRare, I think, was held up as more Web3 than other protocols because they didn't take venture capital dollars and have these unlock schedules. Why don't you give me an example of that where there's venture capitalists involved? And what does it mean when there's an unlock schedule? How does that have an impact on the token value? I think like DYDX is a very good example. VCs, they want actually liquidity. Right? They are like one of X up on their investment. When an unlock happens, it will just instantly dump on the market, which will result in very poor price performance, which you can see with the two tokens uh, I mentioned, they underperformed the markets quite hard. So the DYDX sample, I don't ask for it's an exchange, right? It's a DEX, yeah. It's a DEX. So it's a decentralized exchange. Now, do they issue equity and tokens to venture capitalists? Do they issue both or just tokens? I think in the sheet was equity, but they paid out in tokens. They do this deal with the venture capitalist fund like traditional equity, but they have these token rights where then they get the tokens. And the idea is they have a significant portion of the company, so they're not supposed to sell them for a period of time. So then when this unlock happens, to your point, what you're saying is then the venture capitalists are dumping on retail. Retail thinks they're getting in and they're excited to own something. But in fact, that's what you mean by exit liquidity? Yeah, that's what I mean with security. It's how the world works, like with stocks is the same. But the issues with crypto, like prices went up that fast that people didn't really take FDV into account. It also started with Solana. Solana in 2020, it had an unlock. And after the unlock, the price went up really hard. Then people started to meme bullish unlocks. And for whatever reason, from that point, nobody cared about FDV and unlocks anymore. And all these valuations now, like they will be much lower. A lot of unlocks will happen. Liquidity already tied up. It's going to be very ugly. I think it's even going to be worse as the ICO bubble in 2017. A lot of retail investors will get burned even more than now. What was it that caused Solana to go up after the unlock? Was it that people had pre-sold or hedged the tokens that they had gotten? I'm not fully sure, but from my understanding, some people sold their softs to others. Tokens exchanged hands. It got transitioned from weak investors to strong investors. And you have to like also consider the valuation was much lower. I'm not sure how big Solana was back then. Maybe it was like one of million market cap. You can't really compare um, it with a 10 billion FDV or something. But when like tokens transition from weak to strong hands and they enter, I think by the time the price was three dollars then it's in fact a bullish unlock. But now there is no demand anymore for it. Can you touch a little bit more on some of the metrics you look at? Let's start with a specific one you've quoted, which is you'll see these tokens quoted as market cap and then fully diluted value, I think is what you were referring to as FDV. Can you just talk about those two and how you think about them? For example, like a market cap. So that's pretty much circulating supply multiplied by price. That's how you get to a market cap. 
it's definitely like an important metric depending on how long you will hold the token. If you just want to make a short-term play like market cap is a metric to look to because it implies how much potential selling pressure there is or how big the value is. With FDV, it's the future price of the token when all the tokens are unlocked, yeah, fully diluted value, as you said. If you're like looking for longer term holds, that's one of the most important metrics because, for example, if a lot of coins with one of 50 million market cap and then you have a $1 billion FDV, that means there's a 7x of tokens that will be released on the market. So that's definitely like important to understand. Is the FDV too high? What will happen with the tokens? When are they like getting distributed or for what are the tokens getting distributed? So that's pretty much how I use these two metrics. Market cap is short-term, FDV is more long-term. What are some other metrics that you look at or recommend people look at when they're trying to analyze investing in a specific token? Well, some people use PE ratios. I don't know if it's pretty important. And you have like, some people use TVR, but the landscape changed entirely. In 2021, TVR was bullish negative. Same for like PE ratios. But now it just paradigm shifted. Like TVL, people are starting to realize that TVL is TVL to market cap ratio. Mostly are like grossly overpriced. When you have international finance, when you have a book of $1 billion, that's maybe worth like five or $10 million. In DeFi, TVL to market cap ratio at peak times was like one. The metrics depend on the market cycle. I think it's important to understand that you have to be, be flexible with it. Just so people understand, so TVL or total value locked, which is the idea that some protocol has, in your example, a billion dollars of capital, of customers' capital is on the system and how people would value that. If the higher the TVL, the more people would say it was being used or the more valuable the protocol was. Is that right? Yeah, correct. I think one thing that you try to do on Twitter is help retail investors understand what's going on. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience, but it sounds like you've done very well in crypto. Have a lot of your friends or things that you've seen got burnt in this space that gets you so fired up of trying to help people avoid some of the worst parts of crypto? In 2017, 2018, I actually got tracked as well. So I was like very new and then I got into crypto and pretty much all selling new team, which I probably do in a certain extent as well. But then I'm just trying to explain what the game is to other people. And of course, I've seen some people getting burned based on misinformation. So I really think it's, it's important to give people the same odds that they at least realize what the game is or at least understand a certain set of rules. So that's why I wanted to just post my opinion and help some people with it as well. For example, like with Luna, I know a lot of people hate me for it, but like countless of DMs that people said I saved their life, I saved all their life savings and stuff. So for me, that's it's definitely worth going to all the hassle. What was it like before it blew up? Now, you know, people look up to you as one of the few people that was screaming, this is a disaster, get out of the way of it. And I admire you for doing it, but I can't imagine that during that process, that was very easy to deal with the other side of that with the lunatics, as they're called, the people that were fans of Luna. I was ridiculed in every tweet I made, had five or 10 Luna people lashing out to me. So they were all saying I was retarded. I had no understanding of tokenomics. Well, I just blocked them. I just dealt with it. I put my money where my mouth is. I will just see. Of course, imagine the markets were, were up another year and I would have lost the bet. I think <laughs> I would have so much, so much hate on me, but that's fine. When you bet against some people the dream, because in the end, Tukon was selling a dream of getting 20% stable yields and Luna like gets burned because more people are buying the dream of 20%. I can see when someone is forcing their opinion into it, uh, against it, they get offended. 
Yeah. Was that always your personality type to be willing to stand up against people like that? I mean, before Doe fell, I mean, I wouldn't say he's a person that I admired. The way he spoke to people was very condescending and he was just so aggressive and got these armies of people worked up. Was it your personality type to stand up against people like that? Definitely. I mean, I always go against the gods. So I don't know how I do it, but I always have a different opinion than most people. I mean, I did it many times before. I went as well against like Olympus Dow of time and avalanche like those are also like but i got a lot of hate but i was used to it it was duke one's weakness as well he was so cocky so he had to take the bets so olympus dow is another one of the d5 things that was quite ridiculous of what they thought they were trying to do but you had olympus you had luna are there current other things that you're interested in that you think people are overvaluing or currently misunderstand that you think are interesting? Not that I'm aware of, to be honest. The past two months have been more on like vacation-ish. I've just been like <laughs> studying like macroeconomics. That's it. But I think like people are starting to realize that <laughs> yields are not coming from nowhere. For example, fine Celsius. I don't think it will be easy to make another multi-billion dollar bonds at this point. There might be small ones, but I'm not uh, aware of them. At least there are no big ones at the moment. Some people, when they look at just the idea of algo stable coins, because it was a question I asked other people and no one could really explain it to me, which is usually a bad sign for myself of if other people can't explain it, then it doesn't make sense as a good investment. But the most radical thing I've heard of is an experiment and that these experiments are worth trying. Now, to your point, a lot of retail got hurt. It was horrible how much money people lost. But do you think the algo stable coin or any of these DeFi experiments make sense that you've learned from them and that if you were designing them, there would be ways to tweak them or that they just should never exist in the space? I think they should never exist in the space. I don't think like uncollateralized stable coins can work. Maybe I'm like poorly educated on some parts, but yeah, I just can't see how you can pretty much they want to fill a gap of money with like some mechanisms. That comes with my earlier point. I don't really believe you can program money. Do you believe in uncollateralized loans? Well, uncollateralized loans, they often like get rewarded with high yields. It's just like a risk reward to uncollateralized loans. But it's quite interesting in crypto, uncollateralized loans are like underpriced. Uh, the yields are actually way too low in crypto. Normally in, in a traditional world, you get like 30 to 40% for uncollateralized loans, but in crypto you get 12 or something, which is something people are starting to realize now as well, I think, with the 3SC blow up, and, which was partially collateralized even. But yeah, you have platforms like Maple and others that do uncollateralized loans and they only offer 12%, which is almost criminal low. I would never take the risk for 12%. Talk to us a little bit about your investor process. Do you work solo? Or are you with a team of people or are you all by yourself? I work mainly solo. Sometimes I exchange ideas with a lot of people. I also work with a friend. He's like a quant. Back in the day, we did some of the snappings, but now there's not as much opportunity. But just from the investing part, I work. How do you think about the time horizon of how long you hold an investment? Yeah, it depends on market conditions. In 2021, it was very favorable to hold your investments for quite long. But now I wouldn't like hold anything long term, at least if I have to invest in something. If it's like a very strong cash, we can. There are some projects I'm investing, like some some seed rounds and stuff, but those are like four year long term. But on the secondary market at the moment, I wouldn't buy anything else as the top 10 or whatever. And when you trade, are you trading in the spot market or are you trading with like derivatives like perps? Often it's like perps, but it's possible that I will also use spot depends like what the most favorable thing is. Walk the audience through what it means like by favorable. It also depends on funding rates and stuff. So for example, like when Bitcoin is going down a lot, often like a lot of shorters. So when you open a long position, then you get paid like funding. So it's more favorable to 
at least if it's like mid to long term position or even like multiple days or something, it's more favorable to just open a position on perps. And often it's also more liquid. Well, it depends if it's more liquid or less fees. Now it's just interesting because Binance, they removed their fees on spot trading. So now it's possible that spot trading is more favorable than on perps. Yeah, I just saw that news that Binance did that. Is that forever or is that just like for a short period of time? Well, I think it's going to be a short period of time. I have no idea. Or maybe it's just they want to keep the volume on the platform. An interesting element is sometimes when you do like a limit order, you get paid fees on BitMEX. So more favorable if you're only trading with limit orders to trade perps. Moving on to one of your other funny posts, and I don't know if it was satire or how much you mean this about use cases. You said, board ape holders are about to realize it's just a stupid monkey picture. PFPs are done. They will never reach highs again. Can't believe after 10 years, the second one that was followed up, 10 years, all we got is algorithmic Ponzi coins, monkeys, and an unsustainably run app. I am the only one who's disappointed in the adopted use cases in crypto. So it's been a big discussion over like, where do you see this actually being used? What parts of it actually impress you and what parts you've been pretty clear with what disappoints you, but what are some of the use cases you've actually been impressed by and are excited to invest in? Privacy is very important. Just being able to be your own bank. I think that's like the, the spirit from crypto. Right? I think we just private Ponzi's and Yepex and stuff. So I think being able to privately transact is like something I really believe in and I will also invest in it. I think as a human, you should always have two options, have centralization or decentralization. A lot of people are working on it. I have like a lot of fans that are also building in the space. So I think it's just a matter of time when we see true innovation. I mean, games can be built on it and that kind of things. But yeah, for now, like I'm, if you have to think about cryptos like now, like 10 years, it exists for 10 years now. And the mainstream adopted board apes. That's so disappointing. We went from the current monetary system, Bitcoin is a new money to like, yeah, look at my ape. This is worth like 500k or something. So I really hope we can start innovating again and yeah, just make the world a better place or at least give people the option to transact privately and all those kind of things. I hear you on the silliness of stuff like JPEGs and board apes, but how do you think about the benefit of adoption of that brought so many people into crypto that might not have been interested in it before? I don't really know if I care enough about that kind of adoption because in some extent it also stigmatizes the whole space in its whole. Like a lot of people also look from outside, they look at the NFTs and think like crypto is a whole scam and it's ridiculous. I'm not really bullish on that kind of adoption part. Most. I had a one time to use a chain and like experience self-custody and all those things instead of buying a year back. That's just me. <laughs> It's super interesting. I hear this debate a lot, and I'm always curious how people would feel from a purist standpoint, some of the ethos or the theology of how people felt about crypto when it first happened, entered the world, and then of usage in this currency form, and then where it is today and the challenges of adoption. So I wonder like, if you were given the option that crypto allowed for private transactions between people that really wanted to be self-banked, but Bitcoin never got over $100 million, or mass adoption and people are using NFTs for all sorts of stuff and the crypto market cap was multiple trillions. Would you prefer the former? Mm, That's like a good question. It's also like for me, like a little bit hypocrite to say, because I actually got rich because all of the stupidity that happened into the market. Now that I got rich, I really want the world to be a better place. But if you ask me like a year or two ago, it will be different. And I probably would want it to be a very high value with a lot of stupidity into it, which I can abuse. It's such a great point. And I think about this a lot with people that have gotten rich in crypto. 
and this isn't just a crypto thing, but when people get rich one way, there's this idea of they pull the ladder up and then they look down on the same people doing the same thing. So when people tell me they collect really rare art and that these JPEG pictures are so stupid, what they should be collecting is this high-end stuff. Or they should just basically take all their millions of dollars and put it in Bitcoin and cold storage. And I wonder, well, where did those millions of dollars come from in the first place? I just believe that there's a lot more people that made money trading shit coins that now talk about them as shit coins because now that's beneath them or it no longer suits the value or the virtue they want to signal to other people. I think it's pretty much a bit of both. When I started to say that I always realized there were like absolute shit coins that will like die. I started to understand how mini cycles and that kind of stuff worked or like how alt season podcast and stuff. It's definitely like a thing. I think we're all like a bunch of hypocrites, at least the people that made it. And now we're like advocating for a better space, but I don't have anything against the people that are still trying to hustle as long as in a, in a quote unquote, like a fair way, if they don't like scam, if they don't hype on stuff. And yet there's always like with NFTs, it's a stupidity, but if people, if they can find someone that wants to pay a high price, of course you should do it, especially if you don't have a lot of money. I would 100% do the same. Balaji talks about like these racial conjugations. That's how you take the same term and it means different things like I sweat, she glistens. So the same idea, but when you use a different word, it's kind of like, that's a fraud, that's a scam, that's innovation, that's a breakthrough. There's a lot of scams and frauds and I hate them and they're horrible for the space. They breed distrust amongst all the people that are trying to figure stuff out. And I'm excited when they get blown out. And I do believe it's like a fire destroying stuff that should get destroyed when it's a scam or a fraud. But then I also think about when I look at some of these people that have made money and from the elite who have the wealth, those aren't the people that are supposed to be making money. And they're sure is not supposed to be making it that way. It's better to go be an investment banker and have gone to a good school than buy a picture of a monkey and make money. And for some reason, I just get an absolute kick out of it that these people made money this way. And I just don't begrudge people for trying to do it. But I find it so interesting of how that seems to be the minority opinion that people get really upset about it. There's like a lot of jealousy. And I'm also aware, like, I'm one of them. I don't have an education, I don't have like a degree and stuff. So, in some extent, I got lucky, and I know some people in real life, they're also jealous to ask me because they think I don't really deserve it. And sometimes I also think I don't really deserve it. But at the same time, these people that buy the coin, they took the risk and yeah, they get rewarded for it. It's how markets work, right? How far did you get an education? Did you finish high school? Yeah, I just finished high school. But I was like, yeah, I was like 20 or something when I finished high school. There's just something about it. From reading your writing, I think you're you're very smart. You're very intelligent. I don't think, I think that society has this weird thing where it wants to credentialize certain things, like going to an Ivy League school and getting an MBA and working at a top tier firm or something. Like these are signals that I'm intelligent. I've met people have those trajectories and I have met a lot of smart people, but I've also met dumb people that follow the same path. And I've met people like you that barely got out of high school and are a brilliant investor. It's a silly thing that society does when it labels people like that. But I agree, there is a lot of jealousy and silliness of how someone makes money definitely seems to affect how other people feel about it. When I first saw NFTs, I thought they had immense possibilities. But if all we were going to do was go to a party and show someone a picture and say, look how much this is worth to shock them, then that's just as bad as being made fun of for owning it in the first place. It's just foolish. All you're doing is trying to make someone else feel bad about themselves to make yourself feel better. So it's kind of a waste of time. So to that point, if that's all we're going to do with this stuff, then I agree it's a complete waste. 
my hope is that these are experiments that people can test with and play and learn. In the dot-com bubble, there was also like a lot of experiment. Before that, like true innovation, a lot of experimenting has to happen. I'm pretty sure it's the same for crypto, and there will be a few big winners. Maybe it's Solana, maybe it's Ethereum. Who knows? They will be the next Amazon. What are your main sources as you're going through your day or keeping track of the markets? Where do you get most of your information from? Is it Twitter? Is it Discord? Is it Telegram? Is it reading other papers or talking to people? How do you get information? A lot of Twitter. Like, There's a lot of shit posting on Twitter, but at the same time, all the important information gets shared and it also gets a lot of traction. You need to make sure you have some smart friends in crypto as well, like just a closer group. So we share ideas, just talk. Sometimes when I'm uncertain about something, I ask like, yeah, how does this work? So I think it's just important to be connected. Yeah, that can be on social media or like Telegram. Everyone can do it. Take some time to build a network. How did you start building your network looking back at your career in crypto right now? I was a Discord user, like a Telegram user, and then I started to make my Twitter. Just start to post, I guess. The first few months or the first year, you don't get any traction. <laughs> when you get one like, it's like, wow, I look alike. As you share more good setups, maybe like you should post when I don't know, you will get more traction. It will also attract more people. I'm often amazed how big my network is. When I ask someone about like houses or something, constructions, there will always be someone that can answer my questions. The thing is, you also need to do the same for them hard. If you're like helpful to people, take your time to, to explain things, they will return the favor. Maybe not the person itself, but someone else will. You said you were surprised by the following. So when you started this Twitter handle, what was your intention? Back then, I was doing some algorithmic trading, which was like more systematic. I was a little bit naive, but I thought I could make a system based on price metrics and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to just report that and stuff. But yeah, then I piloted more to like DeFi summer. I would have never like in my wildest dreams think it would come this far. You can monetize a following. Back in the day, like market conditions were very different. So you had to be more, you had to be more inventaneous or, inventaneous or how is it called? So I was just finding a lot of, trying to find a lot of ways to create a living or something. I had no concrete plan, but I just thought like decent following couldn't hurt. And it's quite only because in the end, I actually decided to not monetize my Twitter account at all. <laughs> just before I ask you the next question, how do people monetize these accounts? Are they like selling classes or something? Yeah, for multiple ways. You can like sell algorithm, you can sell classes, referrals. Some people make a shit on referrals. And yeah, also like pay tweeting, you can promote coins. In the bull market, like offers up to like 20 or even 50K to just promote like a project and stuff. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous how much money there is involved. The fact that you're pseudonymous and nobody knows who you are, is it hard for you not to be able to share information or is it hard to make investments when people don't know who you are? Well, sometimes it's definitely harder. Obviously, when, when you do like c and stuff, you have to dox yourself. Some people know my dogs, not, not a lot of people do. I really like it though. <laughs> There's like much more upside of being anonymous. I'm fine with dealing with these small struggles to not be openly sharing everything. When someone who knows you in real life asks about what you're doing or her seeing the wealth you've created for yourself... Do you recommend that they get interested or start researching crypto or do you try to steer them away of it most times? I definitely steer them away. Mostly they start to ask when you're like a big bubble, when people are like in 2021 and they, they start to realize that I have more money than before. And obviously you have to explain yourself a little bit. I just often tell them I got lucky, which is partially true, by the way. And just tell them if they don't have a lot of time, just maybe buy some Bitcoin, who knows, but 
just try to spend your time on something you enjoy and you like. If they make money, they won't really think you made the money, but if you lose the money, they will hate you forever. So I don't want to have like any responsibility or something. Looking back now where we are in this time frame, it's July 2022. The market's pretty unsettled. How does this cycle compare to the last bear cycle or the ones that you've been through? It's much different because now we're like in the global, some people are claiming that the recession already started. So I will just say like we're in the global recession now. In 2017, it was different because just the interest went out of crypto in a more natural way. And now it's pretty much going to take out of crypto because the global recession and of course, risk assets are one of the first assets to pay the price for it. You can't compare it at all. But that's the issue with a lot of people are using like some models to predict the future price, but they don't realize the whole landscape is changed now. Isn't it like 5 or 10% of the whole population is holding crypto, or at least Dutch crypto? It's much more adopted than back in 2017. Like 2017 was much more speculative than now. Well, it's now still a lot more speculative, but at least more people know what crypto is. The issue is with that, like the mystery went a little bit away from the markets. I'm a little bit scared people got burned so they won't really return anymore. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm pretty sure like the speculative cycle we had, which was partially driven by stimulus checks and COVID, people are locked in their houses and got free money to gamble with. I don't think we'll ever see something like this again. I think it's like once in a lifetime. It's just way too crazy. I hope so. I hope we don't get locked in our house again. I think that the gambling culture, the people, at least in America, willing to take risk and place bets and that desire to win will always be there. The gamification, the financialization of things, I don't think that's going away. But I do agree with you that locking everyone in their house and giving them far less things to stimulate themselves with definitely caused a lot of this type of rampant trading behavior, meme stocks, that type of stuff. A question I had about just trading. We talked a lot about your crypto trading and how you think about it. Do you trade other asset classes as actively as you trade crypto? But do you trade stocks and bonds? No, no, I really don't think like trading is good to do. I will diversify into them, actively trading. No, I think like trading is a zero sum game. I don't really believe it unless they have like informational edge or something. And when you diversify, I always think this is interesting. You don't have to share too much personal of like how you're allocated, but in percentage terms, do you hold crypto and other publicly traded assets? Do you hold real estate, gold? What other things do you use to diversify away from crypto? Well, I'm just starting my diversify process because I had a lot of issues with banking and that kind of things. I don't think people here like a 20-year-old putting a lot of money on the bank. But yeah, I think like real estate, obviously like owning your own house, despite it being a good investment is always, it also gives you peace of mind because you will always have a roof above your head. I will educate on that part. I still have to do a lot of research on it. So yeah, it's a big question mark for me as well at this moment. It's interesting to hear how you're starting the diversification process and I'll, I'll be excited to see where you go with that. It's been a far ranging conversation and we like to end these podcasts with the same closing question. What are you excited to build, invest in, or see built over the next six months and over the next six years? So something I invest in, it's like called GMX. I don't really want to shield my bag. I really think decentralized derivatives holocaust is important where the, the profits flow to the holders. That's something I just stand behind. Of course, like what I also want to see is a scalable layer. For example, like you now see some L2s launch like Optimism and Arbitrum. I really hope scalability won't be a big issue anymore in the future. That's definitely something I'm going to invest in into the future. And what are you excited over the next six years? Would it be in the privacy space or your long-term views of what you'd be excited to see built? Well, a privacy-preserving, scalable solution will also be um, 
Well, I actually already invested in one, which I can't disclose. But that's definitely something I'm looking more towards. I also think it's just very hard to know what's going to happen in six years. Maybe my mind will change next month. And maybe like next year we'll see more innovation and there will be like a layer three or whatever. I don't really try to think too much into the future. No, that's totally fine. Well, Algon, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure getting the chance to finally hear your voice after following your Twitter handle so closely. I know that many people that follow you have definitely saved a lot of money. You definitely protected a lot of people in the Luna Terra Unwind. And I appreciate you sharing all your thoughts and your ship posting. It's one of my favorite things to follow. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 